1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring, boring, boring.
0: Hey, okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. You still have pro man run around tight pants.
1: It's Mookie Vets. Daniel Bard. This is Steve Aoki. Here's Saltz This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball. Baseball. baseball isn't
0: boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, well, baseball isn't boring in one person that has absolutely made it that way um, ever since I've known him. I guess we just figured out this 2004, almost yeah, 18 to 18, almost 19 years uh, when you were back with the Blue Jays. Alex and GM of the Atlanta Braves, obviously. And um, Alex, first of all, how are you? Everything good?
2: Great, everything's great. Glad to be on.
0: Yeah, I saw you trucking around Montreal. You know?
2: Yeah, almost- totally.
0: <laughs> Toronto,
2: just it was. Um, was at my in-laws, and there's not a lot of room there, and we got a lot of nieces, nephews, cousins. Uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, so I had to do everything out of my car. Really? So it was just Yeah, I just even yes. work. So there's nowhere to work. It's an 1,800-square-foot house and 10 people in there, and uh, we have a place across the street, but it, we were doing some work on it. It wasn't ready, so we all piled into my in-laws, and it was a tough uh, two-and-a-half weeks, just not a lot of space. So, so I literally, got in the so car and did my
0: Zooms. The Atlanta Braves were being run out of your car for two-and-a-half weeks.
2: Pretty half much, years. yeah. I would just be like – no, I, well, I wasn't going to, you know, we have kids running around and this and that. So it was the only place I could make phone calls and, and do everything and just have quiet and not have to interrupt anybody.
0: Well, listen, you've always been one of the best and, and uh, I always enjoy talking with you. I appreciate you coming on and I'm really happy for your success. And every yeah. time you succeed, I'm I'm, I'm grateful uh, that, you know, of, you know, going back, like I said, always seeing you come up through the Blue Jays and obviously what you're doing now, it's awesome. And so, you know there's a lot to get through like there's you know some of the things that we've talked about in the past some of the things that was going on you know one of the things that jumps to mind and and i i you should get $5 every time i mention this because i always i remember we did an interview a few years ago batista and Canarcion. it was a batista and Canarcion years right yeah yeah and, and you said and you were saying listen we got this window we got this <laughs> we got yeah. this window and, and so we're going to try to take advantage of it. And that's what you did. And, um, and I just thought it was sort of refreshing to, to actually for you to say, we got this window. That's it. Like we know like the impactful guys that we have, we know that we're going to probably have to turn over the roster. Looking back at that time, when you have that situation, it is a, what, what, how do you view that? Do you view it, view it any differently than you do now? Or do you say, okay, that, that made a lot of sense?
2: Yeah, look, I, I look back all the time. I think it's important, right? Especially on things that you wish you would have done differently and so on, but um, you know, you're shaped by your experiences, right? So I get to Toronto and 2004 season is my first year there. It was Carlos Delgado's last year. Uh, we were limited with what our payroll was and I was scouting coordinator, so wasn't involved with the roster. And so on J.P. Richard, was the GM and you know, he was the GM at the time when the Red Sox and the Yankees were just dominating the sport, right? You didn't have expanded playoffs and so on. Oh, and
0: by the by, the way, a year, just a year away from being in Chasing Steinbrenner, Cole yeah, Classic. Yeah, exactly. I could have fall. been in
2: that book. That's you, right. could in could book. you
0: could have been I in the, the book. Um, I
2: mean, you could have been in the book. I But
0: then again, you also missed Tanyan Sturz being the number three starter, so there you go. That's true.
2: That's true. <laughs> Mike Bordick, the starting shortstop. Right? <laughs> that's right.
0: That's right. Yeah. Myers,
2: starter behind the plate.
0: Oh, man, I could I could go through the – listen, the clock. I wasn't Rain. there, but I just heard about it. The Claude Rains project falling around Aaron Hill, you know. So uh oh, yeah, yeah. So no,
2: and they when you look back, I mean, the work that, they had expanded playoffs back then. If payrolls had been where they are today, when I left Toronto with what they are today, I think be very different. I think um J.P. would have oversaw a bunch of playoff runs. You know, he had some great rosters and teams, and he made do with what he had. But you know, I remember at the time, I think Carlos Delgado was making like sixty percent of the payroll, forty percent of the payroll, and it's just. it's impossible to be successful and spread the money around and so on. So, you know, he left in free agency, but, you know, for me, he was a Hall of Fame player. I know he didn't get past the first vote, but I mean, I think part of it is because of where he played. But if you look at the numbers, you know, he's a Hall of Fame player. He loved being in Toronto financially. It wasn't going to work to be able to keep him. Um, And then I look at Roy Halladay. You know, again, we just, it was bad timing of no expanded playoffs, limited with, with the payroll, Yankees and Red Sox just being at the top of their game um, and not being able to sneak in the playoffs. And it's like, well, we talked about, you know, you're talking about Carlos Delgado and the moments you talk about with him or get four home runs in a game. You know, he should have won the MVP, in my opinion, for one year. You talk about Roy Halladay, you talk about you want to Cy Young with, with Toronto Blue Jays. So now you fast forward and you get Batista and Carnacion, and they had great individual accolades as well.
0: Sure.
2: What comes to mind when I say the names, Batflip, Batista, Walk off homer, Edwin Encarnacion, <laughs> Alberto Jimenez, playoffs. You know, I think of Halliday, I think of um, his playoff performances with, with the Phillies. Right, obviously Hall of Famer, great, and so on. But for me, it's just I look back and you get these rare opportunities to get these elite players, and they're remembered, and the memories they bring in my mind to fan bases are playoffs. You no know, moments in the playoffs. I think of Ortiz, and I think of amazing things, but I think of. That big homer of off jo- Joaquin Benoit. I'm sure there's a million David Ortiz things.
0: So. Oh no, no, you're right. Yeah,
2: that's one of the first things that comes to my mind. And I was incredible. I saw him crush the Blue Jays for years. Him and Manny back to back, and so on. So um, that stuck out to me. And look, when I got the job, we were going to go into a rebuild. traded holiday. We did not. Jose Batista wasn't Jose Batista yet. Then all of a sudden, after my first year, Jose Batista has a monster year. He's a year away from free agency. And it's like, well, we weren't planning on this. You know, like we have a guy who looks like he could be a core player at 29 or 30, which is very odd, had a 54 home run season. And what are we doing? We're, we're rebuilding. We're going to just scrap the, the rebuild and sign this guy long term. Are we going to trade him with a year left on his deal? Um, is it real or not? We didn't know. And did we buy into it or not? So we ultimately made the decision to sign him, but it was a tough decision and it wasn't when we did the deal; it worked out for the club, but we didn't high five or think, "Wow, we're we feel great about it." I remember a few days later driving to the ballpark thinking, "I just made a huge mistake." It was Sixty-five million dollars—a lot of money back then. It's a big commitment. I think someone had said no one had made more money off of one one season, and it was scary because he was going to be older. And uh, but that ultimately propelled us to start contending sooner than we thought we would. Then Encarnacion emerges in the same way. You know, he was an afterthought when 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 JP acquired him in the Scott Rowland deal. Zach Stewart was the centerpiece of the deal. Edwin Encarnacion was brought in to offset salaries. And then he emerges, you know. And, again, I can't equate everything to the L East, but, you know, the way Carlos Pena emerged for the Rays or Ortiz emerged for the Red Sox. Remember when Ortiz was signed, right? It was Doug Minkiewicz. Oh, Ortiz. oh, yeah, no. A, a uh, guy, I'll, I'll right? give you
0: the guys. Brad Fulmer yeah. and Craig like Three guys competing. Yeah, right. For right. First
2: base, right? And then Jeremy he Giambi, emerged, yeah, 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 and he became exactly Giambi, and he became a great player, and he became a core piece. So Edwin Encarnacion, that wasn't the thought, and then all of a sudden, he became a core piece, and we decided to sign him. So you're sitting there, and you're like, "Wow, we have these guys; these middle of the order bats, these elite hitters. They're hard to get. We've signed them now; they're under control. Let's try to move this thing forward and, and get it over the hump." So, um, you know, I, I look back at the Holiday years and the Delgado years, and it was like. I thought it was a shame that we don't we don't have any playoff moments to talk about with those guys. So that shaped a lot of my thought process at the time, and um, you know to this day I love the fact that when I was part of that org- organization, you know, I was part of the, the bat flip, small part. I was there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't there. Frank Carnacion I had left, but 2016, you know, I was part of him staying in Toronto. So you know, JP was part of bringing. JP's the one who brought b- both guys to Toronto, right? He brought Batista. He brought Encarnacion. So, But knowing you're a part of um, a moment that fans will remember forever, that's what sports are about, you know? So um, it definitely shapes your experiences and so on. And, you know, again, it's – I don't believe in going all in, trying to be competitive year in and year out. I do believe you owe it to a certain core and a certain group of players that, to try to get in and try to make a run because you don't, you're not guaranteed that that core is around four years from now or that they're healthier, that, that they're performing. We can go through so many players where things have changed. So you know, people that talk about five-year plans and six-year plans and so on, it's just too hard. I mean, I, when I'm looking at things, I'm looking really for sure in a two-year window and, and I'll probably look as far out as three. We've signed guys for longer than that, but you know, really I'm operating on a three-year basis for the most part at all times. Because that is at least it's easier to manage and to handle. So I'm not looking that far ahead because I know things will change with guys getting hurt and guys not performing.
0: Well, I mean that and that obviously segues into like how you're approaching things now. And you get a lot of uh, kudos and rightfully so for the extensions that you signed. I don't know if if we can. There's a correlation here between saying you you had mentioned you know Delgado. You mentioned Halliday. You mentioned signing those guys. You don't want to get to that point where you have to make that uncomfortable decision about turning over a roster. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, and obviously, like it's, in it, it, every GM will tell you that in in a perfect world we get we lock up our main guy for a long time. But do you look at it from like you said at the beginning, lessons learned of like feeling okay? You know what? This is something that maybe I, I prioritize now more than even I prioritize in Toronto.
2: Yeah, I mean, we prioritized it in short. We signed Aaron Hill to an extension and Adam Lynn and Romero and Moro. Um, trying to think if anybody else comes to mind. But we did some extensions. And look, they all didn't work out, right? Romero got hurt. Moro got hurt. Lynn was a good player. Um, he ultimately got traded. Aaron Hill was a good player. Ultimately, had a down year and got traded. So they didn't all work out. But we definitely tried to keep players and keep them around long long term. Um you know, I think, look, in an ideal world, you would wait as long as possible because we've seen it. We've seen guys win MVPs getting on tender. Guys be all-stars, and all of a sudden, they're not the same two years later. Uh, look, we have examples for Mus. Soroka's in the Cy Young conversation. He has missed the last two seasons, um, really, and then part of 2020. the shortened season, so almost three. Um, and it's just three things have happened. And Ronald Acuna is so on his way to what I thought he was going to win the MVP in 21. Uh, he gets hurt. And he he missed time and he wasn't the same player last year. Hopefully he'll get back to that. But you just don't know, right, that guys are going to, you know, the Hall of Famers are the ones that are elite year in and year out. And we take it for granted how hard it is to do that. But um, we definitely have taken an approach of being more aggressive and doing it early. And there's a trade off, right? You're taking on more risk in doing that because guys get hurt. Guys don't perform. Things change. We don't have as much information on their performance and their health. And you just see the turnover across the game. So, in an ideal world, you'd wait a year before free agency or right up to free agency and sign mm-hmm. these guys. But at that point, it's you it's lose a lot your harder. leverage. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's a lot harder. These guys are close. They've earned that right. They've played year to year, they've earned that right to see see what's out there. Um, so, you're taking on a lot more risk when you're doing it early. But um, no, I see how well the business side of the operation here is run. The battery, the surrounding area in Atlanta, uh, the mixed use development is phenomenal if anyone hasn't been out here the ballpark's brand new it's great environment um and look we have to have a competitive team for these guys to want to stay so right now we do have a competitive team so they want to stay and we're trying to ensure that it stays competitive i've said this in a few interviews i think subconsciously growing up a montreal expo's fan growing up in montreal um you know i remember where i was when the shields got traded if you were know, Charlie would tell me that all the time i remember where i was when delano got traded I was upset and he got you know you got Pedro Martinez in that deal. Um, I remember where I was when Pedro Martinez got traded you know for armas and Carl, Carl Pavano and and um, you know I, that was such a great young team and it was tough that we couldn't keep those, those guys and I look at Atlanta the market what we're capable of I don't you know one we're doing it for the right reasons that we think these are good players and they're going to maintain they're going to continue to be good players, but also I think it's important for the fan base as well um, the continuity that you buy a jersey, you know, you're going you're gonna to have the player here for a while. And um, these are great young players, and are trying to keep this core around. And you don't want to be faced with a decision to have the trade guys two or three years before free agency to get value. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's hard to find these, these players. So it doesn't mean you're going to sign them all. It doesn't mean that you can sign them all, right? It doesn't work financially to sign 20. You know, realistically, you're not going to have 26 elite players. But even if you did, you're not going to be able to afford to sign 26 guys and have a payroll that make makes sense at least for us. So you have tough decisions to make. But if you have young talent that you can give an opportunity to, you're going to look to do that and keep as many guys as you can.
0: Did you have a Deshields jersey? What jersey did did? No, no, I didn't uh, have Stephon a jersey. West but house. you know,
2: I didn't buy jerseys. Back, you're a poster back guy. Yeah, I'd have posters, cards. I mean, I was big into the numbers back then. I was getting the the Bill James books delivered to my house in Montreal and so on. And um you, know, you couldn't watch the expos on TV much. They weren't on that much, right? So. I would get them when the, we'd have uh, we had a satellite, so we'd get the Cubs. And when they paid the Cubs on, on the WGN, when they played, played the Braves on T, on T TBS, yep. I'd get as many Montreal Expos games as I could. Um, you had basically the uh, the arm the ESPN arm in Canada's TSN. that had their spring training report, and you'd get 20 minutes or so, and you get little clips of guys <laughs> on bullpens and so on. But I was starved for any baseball information that I could get. You know, the internet back then is not as important. Talk radio is a big deal. Um, but, you know, a winning club really got me into baseball. I wasn't a rabid baseball fan until 1992. And that's when Felipe Alou came aboard. And the Expos really started to contend. Prior to that, I liked baseball. I didn't love it. And I got the bug with a winning team. And I do think that's important as well. I saw it in Toronto. 2015, we we'll finally get back to the postseason I hear from people that people became fans that year. And hopefully with the Braves these last few years, that World Series run, more people became fans. And I know that we had former players at the Blue Jays saying that, you know, in the the glory days when they won back-to-back World Series, there was a lot of fans created there as well. So Mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot of value to all that across the board.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that. And I think it's an important thing. We've been talking a lot about – you know, it, and it's a simplistic way to look at it. But you said it. Putting the name, the names on the back of these jerseys, the kid wear. Who do they want to buy? And I, the story I always remember was um, when Nomar was traded. There was a uh, somebody I know. His little kid said, "Oh, okay. Well, you don't, you you don't have the Nomar poster anymore. Who do you want?" He's like, "I want Ted Williams." I'm like, why do you want Ted Williams? Because I know he's not going to get traded. <laughs> so, I mean, right. But that's a, that's the type of thing. So. You know, and, and so that's great. I mean, it's honestly, it's great. It's a, and we've, I know it's been talked a lot about this soft season, about these extensions, but for you, and you cited some of the ones in Toronto, for you, do you, in simplistic terms, are you better at it? Like another, there's an, there must be a little bit of an art to it, not only in terms of the timing, but in terms of approach, in terms of selling them, because that has to be part of it, right? I mean, I'm not selling in a bad way, in a malicious way, or in a, you in know, a, in a roundabout way, but it's just. In terms of saying, "Hey, this is why this is good for you," to make these guys understand, because Alex, we've seen it. I mean, we've this has changed. It's really gone like about five or six years ago. I think it was a lot harder to do these things because maybe players were digging in. Have you got better at it?
2: No, look, I think there's a combination of things. So I remember 2015 um, being in Toronto, and Josh Donaldson's on his way to winning the MVP. And we were playing well. It was the second half of the season after the trade deadline in August, September. And I remember just having a conversation with him. You know, there was a lot of talk about getting players to Canada and there's no ESPN and this and that. And I said, you know, what do you, what do you make about all this stuff? You know, cause JP O'Charty was successful signing big time free agents to come to Toronto. And, mm-hmm. The years before that, Pat Gillick and Paul Beeston were signing a league for ages, right? Jack Morris, Dave Stewart. Yeah, uh, and with, uh, you know, with, with they were signing GP, with Bur- Clemens.
0: Yeah, Burnett yeah. and B.J. Ryan, yeah, yeah.
2: Right, so guys guys were going, right? But there was this thought process that maybe they didn't want to come and so on, and I asked them, I said, "No, you know, what is it and you know, what can we do better as an organization? How do we, and you know, we felt really good about the team, the clubhouse David Price had come over. He, he loved being there. He really enjoyed it. So I was feeling good about where we were as an organization at the time. And I remember asking him, like, what do you think if there's innocuous? You hadn't won. Because if you start winning, you know, that ultimately takes care of it. And I think back to all these different cities and markets that have had, had success bringing players in. It's when they're winning. You know, so, like, look, it's not a coincidence that, you know, we're signing guys when we're in a position that we've won. We've made, made the playoffs the last few years. And we have a new ballpark, a great facility. Atlanta's a very desirable place to play. Um, you know, I think our support staff does a very good job, but I do think winning's a big part of it. Now, if We were friendly under 500 or a hundred loss team three years in a row. Um, maybe, you know, it wouldn't be the same thing, but um, I know, you know, Roy Halladay said this at the time, you know, we have to trade him, but he said, you know, for him, free agency was about choosing where you want to play. And we're in a position currently that we have a good club. And I think of what Josh Donaldson said at the time is I haven't had a player come out and tell me this is exactly the reason. I mean, look, there's, we can go through examples of guys that have gotten hurt or haven't played as well as we thought they were going to play and got themselves guaranteed money and so on. And look, we've given out some big contracts as well. Austin Riley's deal is the biggest contract in the history of the Braves. Braves been around a long time and a lot of great players, never done a $200 million deal before. We did it for him three and a half years away from free agency, you know, and he loves being here. Matt Olson, second highest uh, guarantee in the history of the Braves, Um, you know, and they were done in the same year. So, uh, we're still giving out strong contracts. Now, the other guys that are smaller deals, they're young enough that they're going to get a second contract, right? So the Albies, Acuna, Harris, Strider, Uh, you know, there's two types of contracts. One that's going to take you through your prime, probably your mid thirties and so on. And then the other one where you're going to get a second deal. So Olsen and Riley is their one big deal, right? That's going to take you through the age of 35. That's their one big deal. So, um, and then you got other guys that are doing deals at 21, 22, and they'll get a second. So, um, it all depends, you know, with Riley, we talked about a shorter deal and then we talked about a long deal and we ultimately came to an agreement. But, um, you know, again, they get to what I believe is their first choice. They get to stay in their first choice of where they want to be. Um, so, look, I don't think there's anything I know. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. We're also doing it really early, right? when mm. at the time we did his deal it was six years away from free agency, It's the biggest guaranteed Contract in the history of the game for a guy with less than a year of service time. I think Hilo Jimenez was the highest at $43 million at the time. Then you got a $100 million deal. Trout had gotten a $144 million deal, I think, at the time, with two years of service, if I remember correctly. But again, the contracts have moved and things have, have changed. Um, you know, Strider and Harris are six years away from free agency when we're doing their, their deal, right? We're still far away. We have those guys no matter what for the next six years, whether they want to be here or not. So um, we're doing them a lot earlier than we would have, you know, and most times we wait until guys are a year out or two years out. And I think that's the biggest change. We're just doing it and we're taking on a lot more risk in doing that. So look, we'll find out if it works. I hope so. I mean, I know all parties want that. Players want to play well and have success. The club certainly wants that. But we understand. I've said this. No one plans on having a bad year. No one plans on being hurt. It happens. We're human beings. So, um there, there's a trade-off there. We're certainly sharing risk, and hopefully we want these to work out for both sides. The guys are performing well.
0: Do You remember the – so, obviously, I've never sat in your seat. I don't know what it's like to be a GM. I don't know what it's like to be a player who's getting assigned to an extension. Um, but I'm kind of curious, do you remember the first time, like Acuna, right? You said really, really early, <laughs> really crazy early. Like who, yeah, who,
2: Much who, earlier than I had ever done, and it was scary. It's like, why don't we wait a
0: little bit? Well, no. that's my that's my question. So Are you said, how does this work? I, I, I want to identify the first time that you remember you're sitting over some wings or maybe some poutine. I don't know. Or, yeah, or ketchup flavored. No stereotypes. Potato, potato. No, well, I, mean, I don't know. You're just in. Montreal. I mean, they, someone told me they have ketchup flavored potato chips. It sounds oh, they're ast- unbelievable. Oh, oh, come on.
2: Ketchup chips. I'm telling you. Come on. They're incredible. They're incredible. Stick just, with me. Stick listen. with me. I know. I just your your face just went no. Man, I'm, forget forget the thought about it. Let me ask you something. You eat <laughs> potatoes and you eat when you combine them, it's not crazy. It's the thought of chips going with it. Give it a shot. It'll change your life.
0: All right. You just of all the great decisions you have made this offseason, I, I just uh, started rethinking every single I'm one s- of
2: I'm them. I'm going to send you a bag.
0: All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, so I apologize for stereotyping or oh, you're sitting uh, over, you're, 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 um, you're sitting at whatever in Atlanta and you're eating something with a, a couple of bodies and you turn to someone and said, Hey, you know barbecue. what? Barbecue. Okay. No stereotypes. Okay. Poutine in Quebec. The
2: barbecue. The barbecue in Atlanta. We, keep, stum- we keep stumbling. We'll at have some, I'll have some chowder when I'm in New
0: England. Uh, well, exactly. So maybe, may, maybe it happened there, but you turn to someone. Uh, one of your trusted uh, uh, co-workers and said, you know what? You know, I think it's, maybe we should talk to Acuna. Like, th- and they said, what? what? Are you crazy? It's super early. What are you doing? Uh, do you remember that first conversation that you had when it, when uh, that was hatched?
2: Yeah, I think it was um, spring training. Okay. Um, I think it was spring training of 19. I think we signed them in April of 19. 19. So I think spring training, um, maybe it was, I don't think he was having, you know, I think, yeah, because we, right, he had had called him up. He had a great year. um, You know, scuffled early on. Then, you know, he was good, not great. People look, he actually made a pretty significant swing change um, at the All-Star break. So with, with his bat, and he changed his bat, was more on his shoulder. He changed it to more of a an upright bat position uh, right around the all-star break. And he really you know, emerged because he was striking out quite a bit and he was still good, but he wasn't as good a hitter as he was the last two months of the season, carried that into a very short series against LA, but he played well, had a big grand slam off of Bueller. Um, but I think maybe sometime in, in spring training was maybe the first time we just, you have a lot of time in spring training, right? You're together with the games don't mean anything. <laughs> Um, that's a lot of time when I think teams start thinking about extensions and contracts and, you know, because there's, it's a, it's a very relaxed environment. You can have good conversations. A lot of your staff is there together. You can talk to people and so on. Um, but that's probably the first time maybe we talked about it, but we had just seen him play so well for three or three months or well, really the last two months of the season. Um, but again, I had never given out a contract of a hundred million dollars before as a GM, certainly not for a guy with less than a year of service. Certainly hadn't been done in, in the game. Um, and again, you know, we were looking at if he is Mike Trout or guys like that. Or I think he had got, again, $140, or 144000000 million as two years of service or maybe three at arbitration eligible. Mm. Um, but he was so dynamic. And I remember saying this at the time, I'd just come from L.A. where I had watched Corey Seager come up and play exceptionally well. I'd watched Cody Bellinger come up and play exceptionally well. Back-to-back years, 2016, 2017. Um, even though Seager came up at the end of 2015, his first full season was 16. Bellinger 17 as well. And I, you know, it's a game of comparisons. That's basically what scouting sure. is. Yeah, and you can look at the data and everything. But and as good as those two were, and they they were great, Acuna at the time looked better. You know, and that's saying a lot, right? Because those guys are elite players even to this day. So I think it was just one of those things that wow, I've never seen someone this good, this talented, this young. Look, we did the same thing with Strider. Yeah, you know, it's it's scary to sign starters early like, like that. But I've been in baseball since 2000. I've never seen it. You know, I've never seen the total package of stuff, makeup, work ethic. You broke Randy Johnson's strikeout record as a 20, 23-year-old. You know, I mean, it's just you don't see it very often. So maybe in, don't overcomplicate things. You know, I've, I've seen enough players and been around. and you're buying the person and you believe in the work sure, ethic. Sure, yeah, so. yeah. You can never guarantee help. But, wow, this guy is so exceptional, so talented, so good. Um, if we can get it done now, why don't we go ahead and try to get it done and so, avoid arbitration and all that stuff.
0: So there's a couple of ways that you can approach it. I would imagine the, the common way is to go through the agent. Um, but I always have this story. I love this story. And Beckett, Josh Beckett told this story about they were in Tampa in uh, his first year at the Red Sox. He had a 5 ERA in July. And, wow. and yeah, if I mean July, like.
2: I remember and, he got extended. That's right.
0: Well, so what happens at five ERA, Terry Francona walks out to him during BP and says, Hey, you'd be interested in selling extension. And he's sitting there, you know, with a bad MRI, you know, with uh, you know, this five ERA. And like, yeah, of course, you know, of course. So my point is, is that Terry Francona walked out and said, Hey, we would be interested in extension I don't know if, if you guys do this. I'm not saying negotiating, but I'm saying, do you say, hey, you know, would you be interested in what their reaction is? Would it be like, oh, my goodness? Because another thing I always remember is Mookie Betts telling me, saying, of all the times the Red Sox trying to extend them, the most difficult time to turn it down, not even a question, was the first time because you've never seen that amount of money. So uh, I don't know how that worked for you. If you got a chance yeah, to talk I, to him, I
2: think the way I view this stuff is um, it's something you have to want to do, right? Because ultimately the goal is for it to not blow up in anyone's face, right? You don't. You're not looking for it to be a terrible club deal where a guy gets hurt, guy's not performing. No one's life is good at that point, right? The GM's being criticized. You know, the team's not as good because the player's not performing. The player's life isn't probably great either. Sure, he's got the guaranteed money, but fans are probably on him. Expectations, media. So, you know, to me, it depends the way you're wired, right? Some people want to go year to year. Um, they want to get the free agency and that's, they've earned that. Right. So I view it as uh, it's a player specific thing and some players just don't have any interest in doing it. That, and that's completely fine, but we've got a player for six years, one way or the other, you know, now if they win awards now with the way the CBA exchange, it could be five, but still it's a long period of time. So if ultimately a player chooses, they want to go year to year, um, and, you know, get to free agency. And like Roy Hall, they said, choose where they want to play. That's completely fine. But I think, you know, some players, if it's early enough, choose, they, they do want to stay, you know, and they do want to be in a certain place. So I, I just think it's a, uh, it's not, I don't think it's all that complicated in terms of if a player wants to do it, then you have a window to get the deal done. Some players just don't have any interest in it, right? They just, they want to go year to year. They want to get to free agency. And that's completely, their right. So, Just like everything else. Um, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. Um, Because, you know, maybe someone's from the East Coast or or Mm. the West Coast or they have family or maybe the club they're on is not a competitive team. And you know what? They say, I want an opportunity to go to a competitive team. Um, Maybe they're a reliever and they want to be a starter and they want to get an opportunity somewhere else. Maybe they're unhappy in a certain city for whatever reason or their family's not happy in a certain city. So um, it's really unique for every player. Um, and I just don't think it's always exactly about the dollars. There's a combination of it, right, especially if you're talking about signing long-term. I think ultimately you have to be willing and you have to want to stay there, and some guys, for whatever reason, don't.
0: Well, you've been really generous with your time. I appreciate it. Um, The last thing is, and this I saw this tweet literally five minutes before we came on, and it's and it's from Danny Vietti. Uh, and he says the Atlanta Braves have spent a total of three million this offseason on free agents, third fewest in the MLB. They are still expected to be a title contender. That's incredible. Mets have spent 107 million, Phillies have spent $397 million. 397 million. My question is, when you look at this off did it sort of pan out like you thought it would? Like if you if I told you those were the numbers, three million compared to hundred do you think million, it's
2: high. I think uh, the only guaranteed contract we've given is Jordan Lu- Luplo at $1.4 million. Oh, really? So Sign guys to make major league contracts, but they're non-guaranteed. So uh, Nick Anderson was a non-guaranteed deal, Jackson Stevens. Those are 40-man contracts, so they are major league free asian contracts. And I'm, not, okay. it's not a, I'm not saying it as a. I'm just correcting the answer. No, no, no. To it's, 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 I'd, it's, I'd, it's, I'd be happy if we're listed at $100 million. Um, But just from a factual standpoint... Right. And again, it's not... We didn't go in there thinking by design. It's Look, one part of it is when we have players under control. The goal is to have as few holes as you can. Now we still have issues, of course. We're not flawless by any stretch. We definitely didn't come off winning the World Series, um, but a lot of positions are. We have we have guys for those spots that we're committed to. Now, some guys are coming off down years and so on, but they are on the books. They do have guaranteed contracts. We're going to give them opportunities. So I think when you look around the diamond and the rotation and the bullpen. There's not that much. There's not that much room for competition, even the fifth spot in rotation. Ian Anderson and Soroka right now are the front runners to win that job. Now we'll have Bryce Elder, we'll have Colby Allard as well, but all four of those guys have options, and they're going to be competing to get that spot. So does that mean we wouldn't add a starter? Not necessarily, but how much better is that starter we bring in from the outside take away the opportunity of one of those young guys to win that spot? I, mean, well, I, mean, I think position? that's the but, ultimate. I mean,
0: I think what he's saying is the ultimate compliment. I mean, for what exactly? What you said is that is that you don't know what's going to happen. I know that right. you say that you don't know what's going to happen, but still, the fact is that you were able to have that foundation, and you look at the the extensions that you signed to sort of reinforce that foundation. And and I'm this isn't even knock on the Mets for spending you know 107 or or Phillies for spending 397. They, maybe like they get the guys and then they do this right, and the next thing you know, they're they're just reinforcing their foundation. I just, it's, it's just been all like a, a very, very interesting off season.
2: I yeah, I wasn't. I mean, look, we've definitely explored some things, um, but it's challenging because we have guys in place, but look, I'd say this. I know it's, you know, our payroll is still in the top 10. I don't know where it's going to rank after the off season, but at least I know at the end of the season, we were eighth, I think. So we are in the top 10. So we climbed, I think when I got to Atlanta uh, for 2018 season being my first, I think we were 21st or 22nd in payroll. So as attendance has continued to climb as our chairman, Terry McGurk's, you know, allocated more to the payroll, and we've climbed and we've gotten into the top ten, which is a big achievement here. So, again, we can't keep these guys and extend all these guys if our payroll isn't climbing the way it is. And on the flip side of it is, you know, we drew over three million fans. is three point two. We are just over three one. We're practically selling out almost every night. So there's a lot of things going right currently. Now that's coinciding with winning. I also realize that a one bad season, one down year. All that could change fast. So uh, we're not, you know, that isn't lost on us. And that's where having all these commitments can go the other way, right? If all of a sudden guys aren't performing, um, guys are getting hurt, you're locked into all these contracts and these dollars, you're in a tough spot. So um, I'm not trying to sound glass half empty, but there is a trade-off. When it's going well and guys are playing great, phenomenal. Everyone's excited and happy. But we've seen it. We've seen it happen with MVPs and All-Stars where, for whatever reason, things don't continue. So um, my job is to worry. Uh, I think every GM in sports will tell you the same thing, especially when you've got the Phillies, the Mets, the Washington Nationals are going to rebuild quick. They've already done it. And they've been successful. They've got a World Series to show for it. The Marlins continue to get better and have a great young, young core. This division's tough. You know, I thought I left the AL East and it was going to be a bit of a break. I think the AL East is now as tough, if not harder, than the years I was in the AL East.
0: Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think I I love that conversation. Who is the best division? Yeah, I mean, it was always the L East. and I
2: understand people in the L East will say that. (laughs) I definitely said it, too. But now living through um, what we had, what we've had these last few years, and they're all really well-run teams. Uh, The payrolls are climbing. It's a challenge, and it's a challenge each year. And every year I keep thinking, how are we going to get back to the playoffs? So, you know, it's credit to the manager, the coaches, and the players that we find a way every year to get back there.
0: Well, you found a way to get work done in a car for two and a half weeks yeah. in Montreal. Uh, oh, you, found, you found a way for me to actually entertain the idea the potato chips and ketchup are a thing. Um, yeah, that's right. Is there, right. Anything, is there anything that you can't do else? But, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, right. One of my great goals in life. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, man. I appreciate you taking the time.
2: All right, Rob. Enjoy doing it. In celebration of opening day, we've
1: got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people.